Welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill. This is episode 70. Thanks for listening. 7-0, everybody. My podcast is now as old as Donald Trump. If Donald Trump were 70 weeks old, approximately. That being the only reason that comparison doesn't make any sense. Welcome back, everybody. It's uh, May is humming along as I record this. It's been kind of a wet weekend. It's a Sunday morning again. It rained a lot yesterday. It's looking like it's going to rain some more today. I don't know. was hoping to cut the grass today. Well, hoping in quotes. Uh, looks like I may have an excuse not to do that. So, yay, more Atari time. How's everybody been? Not a lot of news this week. More just interesting things I noticed or thought about since I recorded last time. One thing I was wondering this sort of, you know, lazy Sunday morning. I think inspired by the fact that I had one of the, the network morning, weekend morning news shows on. I think it was CBS. And they were interviewing Jessica Simpson. Former and current? In question mark? Former, at least. Pop star. Occasional actress. And now I guess she's got a, a line of clothing out. But it's the actress part that I thought of. Because she uh, played Daisy Duke in the big screen adaptation of the classic 80s TV show, 70s and 80s, I guess, TV show, Dukes of Hazzard. Uh, she played Daisy, and that got me thinking, uh, not necessarily about that movie, which, for what it is, actually wasn't that bad. But anyway, what I was, was thinking about was the TV show. If you're a retro Atari fan, you're probably of a certain age. You probably remember the Dukes of Hazzard. But for those of you who don't, quick summary. Uh, it was a show about the Duke family, cousins Bo and Luke and Daisy, and their Uncle Jesse. Uh, Uncle Jesse uh, was uh, a former moonshine runner from the old days. Uh, they all live in uh, Hazard County. I don't know if they ever say a town, but it's Hazard County, Georgia. And they have run-ins with the local corrupt law enforcement consisting of Boss Hogg, who is sort of the, the mayor of the town, I guess, and sort of the local crime boss, although he's not like a Tony Soprano type. This is a, a, a very light-hearted show. He's more into like scams and, and making money and stuff as opposed to like running drugs and killing people. And Sheriff Roscoe P. Coltrane and his deputy, uh, well, first part of the series it was Deputy Enos Strait, and then Enos left to get his own show, which didn't last. Uh, but while he was gone, Cletus, something or other, came in and was deputy, and then I think Enos comes back towards the end of the series. And they have, every episode is basically... Bo and Luke driving around really fast in their orange Dodge Charger called the General Lee and the sheriff chasing them um, because because the boys are trying to uh, foil whatever scheme Boss Hogg has going on in that particular episode. So, I was thinking about this this morning, uh, inspired by Jessica Simpson, and I got to wonder, would a show like that, a TV show like that, work on TV now? You know, TV, you know, production companies uh, for TV and film, are all about reboots these days. Uh, could you reboot The Dukes of Hazard as a TV series now? I'm not sure you could. At first, I wasn't sure you could, because I thought, well, the, the whole premise of the show, and by the way, I've gone back and watched, I, I was a huge Dukes of Hazard fan as a kid, uh, but I've gone back and watched the show as an adult, and it, it sorry to people who made the show, it's pretty awful. The, the whole premise of the show is just one contrived excuse after another to watch the General Lee jump over things. The plots are pretty thin. The acting's pretty thin. Again, sorry, everybody. I have a feeling 
you know, and there's there's some basic um, character problems too. Daisy Duke, sure, you could make the show now and you'd have a strong female adventurous character, but the thing most people remember about Daisy Duke is her incredibly short cutoffs, and I don't think that would fly for good reason with modern sensibilities. The car is sort of the icon of the show, the orange uh, car that they drove around in with the big O1 on the side. And the problem is the car had a Confederate flag on the roof of the car, and they were proud Southerners. There wasn't any overt racism in the show, but they were proud Southerners, and, and that's how they viewed Confederate flag, hugely problematic symbol, uh, again, for good reason. I think you might have a problem with that, uh, making a show today that featured the Confederate flag so prominently. I'm not saying the Dukes of Hazzard TV show was racist at all. Uh, I don't think it was. But, nonetheless, there it is. But then I thought, so I thought, well, all right, if you made the TV show now, probably, maybe you could get away with having the car, you know, be the orange car that they, the doors were welded shut and they had to climb into the windows, which is always kind of cool. Uh, kind of like a NASCAR sort of thing. You know, because NASCAR is huge and, and racing is huge. Uh, so maybe you could do that. But I have a feeling the show would be a little darker now. You'd have, instead of sort of the goofy, roly-poly sort of uh, joke that Boss Hogg was, maybe you'd have like a like a, a Billy Bob Thornton, you know, a la Fargo, or uh, David Thewlis, who's on the, the current season of Fargo. Maybe you go a little darker with the character. In the original series, Uncle Jesse and Boss Hogg were, were sort of... Uh, rivals going way back to their uh, moonshine running days. Maybe you make that rivalry uh, uh, something darker now. Maybe somebody died or something. Maybe you made instead of bone Luke, maybe they're not so much uh, lovable scamps as they are. You know, maybe they've they've done some harder things, some more uh, nefarious things in the past or something. But they're trying to to walk the the straight and narrow now. Maybe it's, you know, maybe the series would be like the Breaking Bad of Duke's of Hazard now or something. I, I don't know. So that was kind of my conclusion. Then I thought, well, wait. We've had like eight Fast and Furious movies. And I'll be honest, I don't think I've watched an entire Fast and Furious movie, but I've seen parts of them. And that's kind of what the Dukes of Hazard is, isn't it? Except, I guess in the movies, the, and like I said, I haven't seen them all, but I, I think they're bad guys throughout the whole series of movies. Dukes of Hazard, Bo and Luke were on the other side of the law a lot of the time, but the law was pretty corrupt. So by being on the other side of the law, they're actually the good guys. But, you know, you've got the Fast and Furious movies. Maybe that's basically what Dukes of Hazard is. So maybe you could do that now. I don't know. None of that has anything to do with, uh, with today's episode. But, well, here, I'll tie it into Atari. Because, uh, as most of you probably know, there was an unfinished Dukes of Hazard prototype game. One of the other, po- at least one of the other podcasts. Maybe Ferg? has talked about that on his series, on his podcast. I think at least he has done, and I'm sure some of the other podcasters have done it too. You know, so there was a, a Dukes of Hazard Atari prototype uh, at one point. So there, I tied my little rambling back to Atari. Moving on. Oh, I guess if you have, if you have any theories about how the Dukes of Hazard TV show would look if it was made today, drop me a line and, uh, and let me know. Because for some reason, suddenly this has become a very uh, large focal point of my brain. In other news, I learned a new word. Ectoplaque. I don't remember which of you on Facebook was talking about this, but I'm stealing it uh, because I thought it was cool. Uh, I actually went to the internet to look it up to see if this was really a thing. Apparently, 
it is really a thing to the extent that it is a word that exists in the urban dictionary. You know, take that for what it's worth. Uh, Apparently, it means some sort of weird film or crud or something that forms on game, you know, old game cartridges. Apparently, specifically Activision cartridges. I don't know why it's specific to Activision. I've got a few Activision cartridges. Uh, more than a few, probably, because we love us some Activision here on the podcast. I haven't noticed any crud on my game cartridges, but if I do, I will keep you posted, and I will know what to call it. Actiplac. In other news, in other news from Doctor Who Corner, I noticed today, I saw today, that in September a new book is coming out called Doctor Who, Now We Are 600, A Collection of Time Lord Verse. This appears to be a collection of poems, I guess, written by James Goss, who has also done a couple of the novelizations of old, you know, classic Doctor Who episodes. Um, but what everybody's really paying attention to is the fact that the illustrations are done by Russell T. Davies. If you're a Doctor Who fan, you know that Davies um, is a, a well-known British TV writer, but he is better known in Doctor Who circles as the guy who, I wouldn't say single-handedly, but more or less single-handedly led the charge that convinced the BBC to bring back this Doctor Who TV series in 2005. Uh, he is a lifelong Doctor Who fan. He ran the, the rebooted series um, for several years and, and is really responsible for cementing it as a new hit um, that is still running now, you know, 12 years later. So... So what everyone's really excited about with this book is he does the illustrations for the book. You know, Daleks and Doctors and things. I had no idea. He was an artist as well. Apparently he grew up, you know, sketching things. There's a quote in the article that I read about him sitting in school drawing Daleks all over his desk. That kind of thing. So I'm excited to see this book. I'm a Doctor Who fan. I am not, not that I don't like poetry, but I don't necessarily buy poetry books and sit down and read them. But I will get this one. Because uh, I am curious to see what it is. I I don't know, but I suspect it's going to be sort of a whimsical, uh, sort of where the sidewalk ends, sort of Shel Silverstein brand of poetry. I could be wrong, but we'll see. So if you're into Doctor Who, if you're into poetry, uh, that kind of thing, check for that. I think it comes out in like September. Today's episode sponsored by Doctor Who. Oh man, I wish. Anyway, in other news, there is no other news. Let's move on to this week's game. This week's game is Star Raiders. Wait, let me try that again. Star Raiders. There we go. An Atari game from 1982. The thing everybody remembers about Star Raiders, to the extent that you remember anything about Star Raiders, is that you to play it, you also had to buy a, t- a video touchpad that came with a little overlay for the Star Raiders game. I guess you could use the video touchpad for other things, too. Uh, I only ever used it for this game. I think... I had to buy them. Well, who am I kidding? My parents had to buy them separately. You know, the the video touchpad and the game cartridge separately. I don't believe they came in one box. Well, here. I have the box. Where is it? Box, where are you? There you are. I still have the original box that my video touchpad came in. Contents, you know. uh, Atari Video Computer System Keypad Controller. And uh, the picture doesn't... The box doesn't say anything about... Well, it says, use with Atari Video Computer System game program cartridges. The picture of the touchpad on the front of the box has the Star Raiders overlay in it. In my recollection, to the extent that I remember, I'm saying to the extent a lot. That's weird. Anyway, to the extent that I remember, the Star Raiders overlay 
was in the box with the video touchpad, but the cartridge was not. There's nothing on this box about there being a cartridge in here. So you had to buy them separately. So it was a big investment. You know, back in the day, it probably cost $482. All right, I'm making that number up. But it was probably a significant amount of money, relatively. But I did. I was excited by the idea of this Atari game where you needed this extra peripheral to play it, and it was just exotic and cool and, and whatever. But uh, we'll get to that in a minute. A lot of you probably know about Star Raiders. If you don't, though, you'll be happy to be informed or to recall that the game manual gives us a little story. We love it when the game manual gives us a little story to key off of, mostly because it means I don't have to do as much work. So, sit back, relax, pour yourself a cocktail, unless it's the middle of the morning, in which case uh, that might signify that you have a problem. Unless you work nights, and you know, you're just getting off work now, so... Uh, by all means, drink up. Please drink responsibly. Alright, here's then the setup for Star Raiders. Destroy the Krylons. Avenge the doomed planet. With Commander Champion and Lee San O'Rourke in the Starfighter, you're on the trail of the Krylon invaders. You've taken an oath to destroy the Krylons and avenge the doomed planet. Okay, I'm going to stop there for a second. Several weeks ago, we chatted with Scott Rhodes who at one time was a writer for Atari. And among his duties was to occasionally write, not occasionally, frequently write uh, manuals for particularly, I think, the 7800 and the Lynx. I don't know, as I recall, he didn't necessarily do a whole lot for the 2600. But he did write for the other other systems. And, you know, including the little stories that would go in the manuals. And when I think about him and the other writers like him who were doing that job, and being a writer myself, it kind of bugs me a little bit that whoever wrote this manual, uh, I'll pause for a minute and say if it did happen to be Scott who wrote this, I don't think it probably was, but if it did happen to be Scott, you know, my apologies. But really, you couldn't come up with a better name for the ship than Starfighter? That's a little on the nose, isn't it? It is a Starfighter. I get that. But give it a name. Enterprise. Firefly. Uh, the TARDIS, um, all those ships, iconic ships that, that fight stuff. TARDIS, not so much. But the other ones that, that fight things, they, they are star fighters. The Millennium Falcon, for example. But they have names. Don't just call it Starfighter. So that bugs me. The other problem I have with this is the doomed planet. It's already a doomed planet. And, you know, this is written in the past tense. Avenge the doomed planet. Apparently it's already been doomed and, you know, I guess blown to smithereens. You couldn't show enough respect for the doomed planet to give it a name? And what if the doomed planet was its name? You've kind of screwed the planet from, you know, the time that it's discovered. It's like uh, naming your kid Jeeves or Cadbury and expecting the kid not to become a butler. Or, you know, naming your pig Bacon and, you know, not sort of telegraphing what its fate's going to be. Something like that. Now I want some bacon. Thanks, brain. All right, moving on. <clears throat> Through interstellar space, you hyperwarp faster than the speed of light, past uncharted stars and planets in an unexplored parallel universe. Hold on. Side note. I was listening to one of Neil deGrasse Tyson's podcasts yesterday, and he was talking about how when you reach light speed, time stops. So my question here is, your ship, the Starfighter, is hyperwarping faster than the speed of light. 
So, has time stopped for you? And then does it start again once you get past the speed of light? Does it go backwards? And if it goes backwards, or if it has stopped altogether, couldn't you just use that as to your advantage to go, you know, beat the crap out of the Krylons while they can't do anything because time has stopped? Hmm. I don't know. Send me your theories. Let me know what you think. Back to the story. Watch out! You nearly collided with an asteroid. Run into an asteroid at this speed and pow! You're space dust. Good thing the Starfighter's protective shields are on. Check the Krylon's position on your galactic map. Looks like they're heading for your starbase. Given half a chance, they'll destroy it to keep you from recharging and repairing the Starfighter. Their ships are fast, but you can hyperwarp anywhere in the galaxy in an instant, if your energy supply holds out. It's a duel to the death. Will you succeed in destroying the Krylons before they wipe out the starbase? Will the starfighter perish like the doomed planet? Or will you complete your mission and return a hero? Tune in next time, same bat time, same bat channel, to find out. I might have added that last part. I really want there to be a, a 1960s era Batman TV show Atari game tie-in. If anyone's got one, like a homebrew or something, let me know. All right. So that's the backstory, right? Your, uh, your commander champion, or maybe your Lisan or Rourke, one or the other, uh, chasing the Krylons in your starfighter to avenge the destruction of the doomed planet. One, another little flaw I see in their little story here. They're talking about how you're trying to save the galaxy and avenge this planet and whatnot, but they sort of throw in this line about how you're, you're moving faster than the speed of light past uncharted stars and planets in an unexplored parallel universe. So are you in this other parallel universe? And why, exactly? Why can't it be your own universe? What difference does this make for the game? They never really explore why this makes a difference. Why is it... A, a parallel universe is a big deal. Uh, it should be a, a... If you're going to throw it out there, it needs to be a significant plot point. You, that's not just a throwaway detail. The number of planets in the galaxy is a throwaway detail, perhaps. Um, maybe even which galaxy it is. Like, you know, Star Wars, all we know is that it's a galaxy far, far away. We don't know where or what the name of the galaxy is or anything. We don't really care. But if you said it, Star Wars is in a parallel universe, that's a big deal. Why is it a parallel universe, and what's different about it than this universe? So I feel like Star Raiders let me down on that point, too. All right. So the, for the gameplay, your mission, first of all, is to destroy all the Krylon warships, obviously, and save the starbase, right? you got to protect the starbase. If you can't do that, you at least have to wipe out all the Krylon ships before the starfighter is destroyed. If you run out of energy or take a hit with your protective shields off, the starfighter blows up, uh, as I discovered over and over and over again when I was playing the game today. The Krylons take over the galaxy and the game ends. If you if you complete your mission and destroy all the Krylons, the Atari Force computer evaluates your performance and assigns you a new rank based on mission skill level, the amount of energy remaining, the number of visits to the starbase for energy and repairs. The mission skill level and energy are shown on the control panel, figure one. Here you go. Got it? Can you see in the back? All right. At the start of the game. T10 means that at skill level 10, there are 10 targets. The higher the skill level, the more targets, and the harder it is to survive. Start at level 10 and work your way up to 40. See section 6 for descriptions of the mission skill levels. Once the game starts, the T counter keeps track of targets remaining. The higher the skill level, the more energy units you start with. If you run low on energy, you can recharge at the starbase, assuming Krylon hasn't destroyed it, and you have enough energy to get there. 
when you hit the reset button, uh, it display the first thing you see is the forward view from the front of the Starfighter, and the c computer signals game start with three tones, and automatically turns on the protective shields and attack computer. Uh, I think I mentioned in the field report, I really dig I, I dig how the game starts, how the game looks when it starts. Uh, the Starfield is pretty cool looking. I like those little tones. I, I like that as a way to start the game. It feels like you're really jumping into a, a space adventure. So, you know, good on you, Atari. Shields keep the Starfighter from being destroyed by Krylon, Photon, Torpedoes, and Asteroids, but they do not protect it against damage. When shields are on, space appears blue. When they're off, space appears black. Oh, wait a minute. I think that's what I was doing wrong. I don't think I was actually turning the shields on. But wait, I thought they said the shields are on automatically when you start the game. Because I don't remember the screen ever being, the stars ever being blue. Hmm, maybe I was doing something wrong. When the attack computer is on, the target marker appears in the middle of the screen. If your shields and attack computer are not on, move both difficulty switches to B. Wait, hold on. What are my difficulty switches on? Oh, well that would explain it. My difficulty switches are on A. Well, there you go. Silly me. Ha ha ha. You goofball, Bill. Each square on the galactic map represents a sector of interstellar space. The map shows you a little V-shaped thing that kind of looks like a spaceship. Those are the Krylon fighters. A little square thing that looks, to me, if my memory serves, vaguely like Yar. Uh, actually, not Yar. The, the thing in Yar's revenge that Yar is trying to get revenge against. This is, shows the location of the star base. They call it an atom uh, in this little in this little uh, description page here. Then you have the Starfighter's current position shown by a little blue bar and the Starfighter's new position shown by a little red bar, which on my screen looked kind of like maybe, looked more brown, maybe reddish brown. Uh, oh, there's a note out here actually that helpfully points out to you that colors may vary depending on the television control settings. Using your joystick, move the red bar to the sector occupied by the Krylons and now press the hyperwarp button on the video touchpad to engage your hyperwarp engines. The blue bar, your current position, joins the red bar when, they engage your, when you engage your hyperwarp engines. When hyperwarp is completed, the screen flashes red and the red alert sounds to warn you that Starfighter has entered enemy territory. Note, red alert also sounds when the enemy moves into a sector you are occupying. When you hear the red alert, press the for view button, key one, to return to the forward view. Be prepared to engage the Krylons in battle. There are three different types of Krylons. Uh, there are the cruisers, which um, look like, to me, look like TIE fighters uh, from Star Wars. There are the fighters, which to me looks like the hair on a Lego minifigure. And then the base stars, which is sort of a, I don't know what that is. It's a, a vaguely oval-shaped kind of thing, but blocky. You know, like in 1980s, because it is, like an early 1980s computer graphic of an oval. Um, it also, I'm, I'm getting a vibe like a, a, one of the um, treasures from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Like the, not the Ankh, but one of the other ones. I don't know. Uh, a flying saucer, maybe, is what it kind of looks like. Anyway, just know that there's a thing called a base star. All three ships are designed for high-speed attacks and are more maneuverable than the Starfighter. Fighters and cruisers do not have protective shields. They can be destroyed with one hit. Base stars are protected by shields and can only be destroyed at close range. All Krylon ships carry deadly photon torpedoes capable of seriously damaging the Starfighter. At skill levels 30 and 40, Krylon pilots are especially good shots. When the enemy is visible in the forward view, the computer emits three short tones. Lock on your photon torpedoes, 
and press the red button on your joystick to fire them. The Starfighter is equipped with, two tor with twin torpedo tubes on the port and starboard sides. When the two torpedoes are locked on, both tubes fire. Otherwise, only one tube fires. To hit targets at close range, aim below the target marker. The attack computer consists of the control panel, the target marker, and the attack computer. The color of the control panel indicates the position and range of the target. If the control panel turns black, the computer is damaged. The attack computer display tracks targets and locks on the pho photon torpedoes. The computer tracks two targets at a time. The dots shown uh, in figure three, if you're following along, indicate the targets. Line up a dot in the center of the display to lock on the photon torpedoes. When lock-on occurs, the target marker changes from blue to red, and the computer emits a short, high-pitched tone. This is the best time to fire your photon torpedoes. Krylons move toward the starbase at a steady rate. The more ships there are, the slower they move. At T10, the Krylons move one sector approximately every 30 seconds. At T40, they move a sector approximately every 70 seconds. Unless you engage the hyperwarp engines, the starfighter follows the Krylons at the rate of one sector every seven or eight seconds. When the target marker turns blue and the control panel remains green, it's a sure sign the enemy has moved on. Check the galactic map and move the red bar into the new Krylon target sector. The Krylons will destroy the starbase 30 seconds after they occupy it unless you succeed in wiping them out. The computer indicates starbase destroyed with the same three tones to signal game start and end of game. After the base is destroyed, continue firing photon torpedoes at Krylons until you wipe them all out and complete your mission or the star starfighter blows up. When only one Krylon target remains, the starfighter plunges into an asteroid belt. What? When only one Krylon target remains, the starfighter plunges into an asteroid belt. Asteroids can be as damaging as photon torpedoes. Either maneuver around them or destroy them with your photon torpedoes. I gotta tell you, Commander Champion, plunging into an asteroid belt seems like a really dumb strategic move. Just had to say that. Every operation of the starfighter uses energy, as shown in the following table. And it gives a breakdown of how the energy units are consumed. The further you hyperwarp, the more energy it takes. A series of small jumps to a destination is better than one long jump. How much energy you're sucking up depends on which mission level you're at. When energy falls below 100 units, the computer automatically shuts off the target marker. Hyperwarp to the starbase and recharge immediately. If you have the energy to make it, if you have the energy to make it. Keep an eye on your energy gauge and never allow it to fall below the level required to hyperwarp to the starbase. When the starfighter is recharging, the screen flashes. When the ship is fully recharged, complete appears at the bottom of the screen. After recharging, enter the Krylon target sector and continue fighting. Recharging more than seven times depletes the starbase and causes it to explode. Damage or destroyed equipment is indicated on the control panel. One visit to the starbase repairs all damage. P, uh, on, the, on the control panel, P is for photons, E is for engines, S is for shields, and C is for attack computer. A green letter indicates everything's okay, yellow letter says da means damaged, and a red letter means destroyed. Uh, there's a damage reference table in the manual, uh, and then the next section of the manual tells us how to use the controllers. Using the uh, joystick controller plugged into the left port, and the uh, touchpad plugged into the right port. I think I grumbled in the manual that I thought the cord for the touchpad is way too short, because uh, it is. It's quite a bit shorter than the, the, the joystick controller cord. Uh, and, and it makes it a little more awkward, even than it already is, to use. But that may just be me grumbling. Difficulty switches. Left switch in A, attack computers off, controlled from video touchpad. B, attack computers on, controlled by computer. The right switch, A, shields off, controlled from video touchpad. B, shields on, controlled by computer. 
Turning off the shields and attack computer saves energy. However, if the starfighter is hit when its shields are off, it will be blasted to space dust. The Atari Force computer rates your performance. A zero rating equals cook. And then you have scout, pilot, ace, eagle, star, nova, with a seven plus rating being the mystery rank. Each rank has five classes. Class five is lowest. Class one is highest. Um, you're ranked by mission plus energy remaining minus number of star base visits. Like I said, there are four levels, 10, 20, 30, and 40. All right, and then there's some other stuff about survival and the uh, game select matrix and so forth. So that's basically Star Raiders. This is a really complicated game for the era that it came out in and the system that's on. Uh, but I guess we'll talk about that more in a minute. Star Raiders was written by Doug Neubauer, an Atari employee, and released in cartridge form by Atari in 1979. It was later ported to other Atari computer and game platforms. The game simulates combat in 3D between the player's powerful ship and an invading fleet of alien Zylon vessels. Star Raiders was distinctive for its graphics, which, under most conditions, represented an out-of-the-cockpit first-person view from a fictional combat spaceship traveling through a streaming 3D starfield in pursuit of enemy spacecraft. The game's attract mode, a simple streaming starfield, was a common sight in computer stores of the early 1980s to show off the Atari computer's graphics capabilities, the game is commonly referred to as the platform's killer app. While there had already been simple target shooting games using this perspective, including 1977's Starhawk, Star Raiders had considerably higher quality graphics and more complex gameplay. As a result, it inspired both imitators throughout the 1980s and later generation space combat simulation games. Notably, it is one of the games that inspired the seminal title Elite, and thus the Wing Commander and X-Wing series. It is also in a string of first-person space shooters that appeared in the late 70s and were arguably predecessors of the later-seen first-person shooter genre. In 2007, Star, Raider, Star Raiders was included as number two in a list of the ten most important video games of all time, as compiled by Stanford University's History of Science and Technology Collections. Uh, like I said, the 8-bit version uh, for Atari was in 79, the Atari 2600 was in September of 82, 5200 sometime in 82 also, uh, and Atari ST, it looks like maybe in 1986. Wanting to make an action-oriented Star Trek-type game, Doug Neubauer designed Star Raiders in about 8 to 10 months while working for Atari. He left the company while the game was still a prototype uh, to go work at Hewlett-Packard, and reported that it took him 6 months to reach the highest player level during development. Star Raiders was unusual at the time for Atari as it made relatively few game cartridges for its computer with most being adaptations of Atari 2600 titles. While criticizing the violent gameplay after seeing a demonstration, Ted Nelson wrote, The Atari machine is the most extraordinary computer graphics box ever made, and Star Raiders is its virtuoso demonstration game. Compute, in 1980, wrote that Star Raiders is incredibly exciting to play, and just about as much fun to watch. It praised uh, the game's use of color and sound to alert the player, and warned that this game is addictive. This game is absolutely guaranteed to put calluses on your trigger finger. InfoWorld said. The magazine reported that Star Raiders' complexity encouraged cooperative gameplay, and that over 20 hours of grueling tests by a battery of ingenious children had proved that it was free of bugs. Byte Magazine loved the game too, so did Visicalc. Electronic Games said that it is the game that, in the opinion of many, sells a lot of 400 computer systems, and has established the standards perspective software marketed will be trying to surpass over the next year or so. A bunch of other magazines raved about the game too, and all that leading up, as I mentioned earlier, to March 12, 2007, with the New York Times reporting that Star Raiders was named to a list of the 10 most important video games of all time, the so-called Game Canon. 
the Library of Congress took up a video game preservation proposal and began with the games from this list, including Star Wars. Er, sorry, Star Raiders. The 2600 version was programmed by Carla Meninsky and released in 82, suffers somewhat due to the 2600's weaker graphics and sound capabilities. It shipped with a special keypad controller, the video touchpad, to take the place of the computer keyboard. Although the controller was designed to accept overlays for compatibility with multiple games, Star Wars was the only game to utilize it. In this version, the Xylons are renamed to Krylons. Oh, okay. That explains it. I think I mentioned earlier that I don't remember ever using the video touchpad for any other games, and I guess this would be why. The 2600 version was made available on Microsoft's Game Room service for its Xbox 360 console and Microsoft Windows, beginning on March 24, 2010, but was eventually pulled. The Atari ST version was designed and programmed by Robert Zidbull, with graphics and animation by Jerome Domarat, and released by Atari Corp. in 1986. It is a very different game in many ways, with, many, with more enemy ship types, different weapons, slower action, and a map featuring a triangular grid instead of a square one, which makes it much easier for the Xylon ships to surround starbases. Whoops. Star Raiders 2 was released in 1986 by Atari Corporation, but had no relationship to the original other than the name, and was, in fact, merely a rebranded game originally developed as a licensed tie-in for the movie The Last Starfighter. In 2015, Kevin Savitz, host of the Antic podcast, was contacted by former Atari programmer Eric Wilmunder. Wilmunder mentioned that he had been working on a true sequel to Star Raiders known as Star Raiders 2. Wilmunder joined Atari Inc. after working at Epics, where he worked on Atari ports of their games, notably the various Temple of AFC series and Crush, Crumble, and Chomp. After working for a time with Chris Crawford, Will Munder moved to a Citra team within the coin-op division that was working on games for the 8-bit, and it decided to make a sequel to Star Raiders. Uh, Star Raiders 2 was faithful to the original in gameplay, but made use of uh, new 32-kilobyte cartridges uh, so that the game code could, code could be expanded greatly over the original 8-bit, or 8-kilobit version. And there's various other changes in the way the game looked because of this... Uh, you know, because of the extra, because uh, of the expanded game code. The main part of the game, Star Raiders 2, was completed by early 1984, but still needed polishing before release. But by this time, Atari was in disarray and undergoing a continual downsizing that Will Munder described as sort of a minefield. You were going to work every day to see the latest crater. Another employee had been laid off, that had been laid off. You were going to work every day to see the latest crater, another employee that had been laid off. Eventually, it was his turn to be laid off, but he kept the development code with him when he left continued to tweak it and approach the new Atari, Atari Corp, once things had settled in the summer of 84. In spite of several positive meetings, Atari Corporation would not commit to supporting a release, and the effort was forgotten when Will Munder moved to Lucasfilm's Lucasfilm game. The game remained unknown until Will Munder contacted Savitz, who managed to convince Will Munder to compile a, vis uh, compile a version for disc and release. The game is an, in an untuned state, but functionally complete and completely playable. There have been a number of clones of Star Raiders, including... Star Master, Space Spartans, and Space Attack. It inspired games like Elite and Wind Commander. Basically, it's got a huge uh, lineage. So, there you go. That is Star Raiders. A way more influential game. Well, I, I can get why it's influential. I'll skip ahead to my review part for a minute. I find the game really hard to play. It looks great. I get why people think it's cool. I get why it inspired a lot of other games. I just think this version of it Maybe the, the original version of it and the other ports are better, but I find this version very awkward to play. Uh, so there you go. I've spoiled my review. So I think with that, we will move on to the field report uh, after the break and just kind of see what's up with this game. So after the break, Panty Raid. Wait, hold on. That's not what I meant. <laughs> 
Oh, right. Star Raid, which might be almost as fun. Are you ready for some space football? It's the Star Raiders versus the Cosmic... What's it? Just a minute, folks. I've been handed a note that says... What's it say? What? This isn't a football game? Space stuff? Again? Well, alright. Let's go ahead and play. I dig that opening tone for the game. The Starfield looks great. Uh, I'm in the four of you now, I guess. I'm looking at my video touchpad. Uh, I guess I'll go to the galactic map. Alright, I got a hyper warp. Kitty corner. I guess. Here we go. Uh, let's see. E for engines, P for photons. That computer. Hey, hold still. And it's just been obliterated. Uh, do over. the map again. There's too much going on in this game, and the cord for this video touchpad, way too short. Just saying. Hyper Warp. I know there's bad guys there, it's why I'm here. Fine, I give up. Galaxy, you're on your own. Back to you in the studio. So, this was a game I was excited to get as a kid. I think I mentioned earlier. The touchpad is cool. The game looks cool. The star fields are excellent. But the the touchpad thing is really awkward to use. And it's really hard to, to keep up with the, the action. You know, the, the joystick action. Uh, trying to shoot the Krylons. And do the thing with the touchpad. And... I, I have trouble figuring out how to use the targeting computer, so when I'm fighting the Krylons, I can't see anything until they've already destroyed me, and I can't figure out how to target stuff. So that's probably just me not spending enough time with the game since I was a kid, but I remember as a kid having the same problem, and I'm sure I had more time to devote to it then than I do now. So I think it's a great game. Clearly understand why it's influential. I just don't particularly enjoy playing it at this point. Maybe I'll get my kid to play it and show me what I'm doing wrong, because he's young and I'm clearly not anymore. All right. I was mentioning earlier about Dukes of Hazard, sort of a vintage 70s, 80s TV show, and I was thinking about that era of TV and thinking about this game and how it looks and sounds and everything, and I think this could have been a kick-ass 1980s TV show, maybe on, you know, one of the networks. It would have been, obviously, one of the networks in that, in that era. Um, cable was a thing, but it wasn't they weren't doing a whole lot of original programming at that point. 
So I think maybe if Star Raiders was a network TV show in the early 80s, the promo would have gone something like this. See this fall, Commander Champion is tough as nails, sharp as tack, and pretty as a picture. We can only defeat the Krylons with vigilance and strength. And a little butt kicking. When the Krylons invade, it's not just our world that's threatened. It's not just us out here, it's our families, our friends, and the lives and the countless worlds and universe we may never even see. They're depending on us too. Commanding the crew of the Starfighter takes all of Champion's skills, and the new rookie assigned to her team. I'm Lee Son O'Rourke, reporting for duty. Whoa! Oh, crash. We'll take all her patience. So, which way to the Starfighter again? You're standing next to it, O'Rourke. Oh, right. Good job, Captain. Commander. O'Rourke tries hard, but, well, you know how they say, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. That's O'Rourke's motto. I miss my old ship. Why'd they reassign me? I only crashed into space dock. <laughs> Twice. Okay, three times. But the third one doesn't count. I wasn't trying to dock. I was just trying to hyperwarp. The darn switches look alike. What did I do to deserve this? But this is war. If the Starfighter doesn't get its act together, our world will end up like the doomed planet. Luckily for us, it turns out O'Rourke does have one skill. What's O'Rourke doing, Commander? I don't know. It's like she's absorbing the galactic map. She's practically climbing inside it. When I look at the map, it's like I know what's going to be on there before it's there. I kind of sense where things are going to be. Now, with this newfound advantage, the Starfighter might just have a chance to repel the Krylon attack. That's assuming O'Rourke doesn't get lost on the way to the bridge. That O'Rourke might just be the one to save this galaxy. If she doesn't destroy it first. That's Star Raiders. Coming this fall to ABC. Wait, you know what? This show is so damn good, it might be too good for ABC. Hey, NBC, you want to crack at it? We 
in a special way We're gonna light your nights and fill your days Make a dance, make a sing Fill you in on everything we're proud to be, yeah NBC, we're proud We're gonna jump and shout Proud We're gonna reel and knock you out Of a brand new friends and those you'd love to see again Make it laugh, make it cry Make it see the reason why And that's our show. Thanks to Kevin McLeod at Incopitech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. And thanks to Jill for portraying Captain... Wait, what's her name? Portraying Commander Champion uh, with Academy Award-level skill. She will probably never do it again. You can email Atari Bytes at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Show notes, other episodes, and other links can be found at ataribytes.libsyn.com. You can find the show on Stitcher, Google Play Music, iTunes, TuneIn. Basically, you can find the show wherever you want. But when the option is offered, do please lead the rating party to rush in and leave a review. It will make you a star. A star raider, if you will. Make that star raider. You can also like the show on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter at Atari Bytes or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. And do please consider uh, supporting the show financially uh, by going to our Patreon page and by shopping at our Zazzle.com store. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes for, uh, but the store is called AB underscore pod underscore store. Also check out my other podcast, It's a Podcast, Charlie Brown, for all your Charlie Brown and Snoopy needs. A new episode of that show drops on the 15th of every month. Next time on Atari Bytes. Combat! So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you. It's not just us out here, it's our families, our friends, and the lives in all the countless worlds in the universe we may never even... I'm going to do that one over again. It's not just us out here, it's our families, our... (laughs) Get out of the studio. Go away. Let's not... Take three. <laughs> <laughs> that O'Rourke just might... <laughs>